You ready for the word? This is week five of our study on Jude called Contending for the Faith. And um, I will, my brother. Thank you so much for encouraging me. (laughs) Keep that up. And um, uh, next week, by the way, will be the last sermon in Jude. And then after that, we're going to start our our Christmas series, Rediscovering Christmas. And that will be for five weeks leading up to uh, Christmas Day, which is on a a Sunday this year. So uh, be ready for that. But Jude wrote this letter to bless us and to warn us. Jude's only one chapter long. It's a short book. And in verse 3, Jude said, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. The faith is something we receive from God, but faith is something we have to, to, to fight for. We have to contend for it, to fight for it. And so we've taught on what that means, and we've taught on the characteristics of false teachers and the scoffers and the mockers who rise up to mock Christianity and, and how we deal with them. And last week, we, we began to teach on strategies for contending for the faith. And Jude taught us the first step in contending for the faith in verses 5 through 16 when he taught us to be aware of false teachings, be aware of false gospels, be aware of, of what's false and hang on to what's true. you got to know the error so you can recognize the truth. And then in verse 17, Jude gives us another strategy for contending for the faith. And I preached on this last week. It's the word of God. Dear friends, remember the words which were sp- spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's also the, the words that the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles foretold. We must remember the word, listen, in order to overcome with the word. You've got to have the word in you if you're going to contend for the faith. So I gave a lot of detail about that, that last week. I talked about how so many people think they have a, a biblical worldview, but, but statistically only 9% of people who call themselves Christian even have a biblical worldview. It's a pretty scary thing. So in order for us to contend for the faith, we've got to know the Bible and view the world and view life as the Bible views it. We've got to know the Word, remember the Word, believe the Word, obey the Word, pray the Word, do spiritual warfare with the Word of God. The Word of God is the foundation of our faith, and we contend for our faith with the Word of God. Now, in verses 20 through 23, I'm talking about today, Jude gives us more strategies on contending for the faith, and I'm preaching that on that in a sermon called Build Your Faith to Contend for the Faith. You've got to have faith and build that faith in order to contend for the faith. Verse 20 says, But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to talk about three verses here where Jude gives us seven, seven powerful strategies to contend for the faith. And the first one is build your faith. Build your faith. When you come to Christ, you have a measure of faith. But the Bible teaches that that faith should grow. You ought to have more faith now than you had last year. You ought to have more faith now than you had when you first came to Jesus. Romans 1 talks about growing from faith to faith to faith to faith. Just like we grow from grace to grace and glory to glory, we grow from faith to faith. And notice, you are responsible to build your faith. The difference, build your faith. That means you can't just wait around for spiritual growth to happen. Spiritual growth and maturity will not just magically happen. You've got to put away childish things, and you've got to build your faith. You can't expect it to just happen. You can't expect others to make you grow. Nobody can make you grow in the faith. Even in the church, we can provide an environment that's conducive for growth, and I believe that we do. But we cannot make you grow. 
We can provide Sunday services. You're here. We can provide Wednesday night small groups where we discuss these sermons and go deeper and, and, and get them into it. And, and some people take advantage of that and some don't. You can read the Word on your own or, or you don't. It, it, it's up to you. But the Bible tells you, build your own faith. How do you do that? Well, we've got to build on the solid rock of the foundation of Jesus Christ and his teachings that are found in the Bible. We can't build on the shifting sands of our own opinions or other people's opinions. It's like being a Christian by, by, by a poll. You know how some people do their politics and politicians are going to determine what they believe by poll? Well, if, if, the, if the majority of people believe this, I'm going to stand for that. But if the, if the polls shift and more people believe for this rather than that, all of a sudden I'm going to stand on this because it's going to get me more votes. And a lot of people try to live their Christian life by poll, by what's popular, by what other people think. And you can't do that. We cannot build on that. That's, that's shifting sand. And that will not stand in the tough times. It will only result in us falling apart rather than being built up. Now listen. We can, we've got to be relevant to the, to the world. But we, we can never allow our desire to be relevant to the world to mislead us into adopting the ways of the world. We've got to be different. There's got, then people have to see something different in us or they will never see a need to change. You cannot reach the world with the ways of the world. We can only reach the world with the truth of God's word. That and that alone. And the truths of God's words are always relevant, even when they're unpopular. The Bible says people are saved through the foolishness of preaching the word. It's foolishness to unbelievers, but to us, the Bible says, it's the wisdom and the power of God. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to them who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Stop being ashamed of what you believe in. Stand up. You're never going to contend for the faith if you're walking around ashamed of your faith. We've got to build our faith. We've got to build our trust. We've got to build on our knowledge of the Word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Notice it doesn't say faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Listen to me. People will hear this Word today and walk out unchanged. People will hear this word today and walk out, yeah, it's not for me. But for those who have faith, God will open your ears to hear. And hearing, hearing, when you come to God and, and, and the word of God, when you have an ear to hear and you hear that word, faith comes by hearing. And, and so if you're sitting there and resisting and not hearing, you're, you're never going to come to a place of faith. You cannot resist God and receive from God at the same time. Faith does not come from, hear, from hearing the word of God. It comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. As you're in the word, God opens your ear to hear, and that builds faith. When you spend time in the word of God, he speaks to you. And when God speaks to you, it builds your faith. Listen, without faith, you'll never attempt anything big for God. Without faith, you cannot operate in the supernatural power of God. Without faith, according to Hebrews 11:6, you cannot even please God. For if you come to God, you must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. In Acts 20, verse 32, Paul said, I commit, to you to, I commit you to God 
and to the word of his grace. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? One, one person. Thank you, Kim. It, isn't that good? Thank you. Which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified, those who are separated, those who are made holy. We see three things that build us up here. God, God builds us up. God's word builds us up. And God's grace builds us up. And notice Paul was involved in this process of building each other's up. And we should be involved in the process of building each other up. Listen, everything the enemy does, everything the devil does, everything the world does is designed to tear people down, to tear families apart, to tear marriages apart, to tear people apart. But we're here to build people up in the name of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, encourage one another and build each other up. But if we're going to build somebody else up, we've got to first build ourselves up. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, So then, just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, how did you receive him? By faith, through grace. Your whole life then is lived by faith, through grace. So continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. You build yourself up in the faith when you continue to live in in Christ. You, you, you build yourself up in the faith when you continue in the teachings of his word. You build yourself up in the faith when you continue in thanksgiving and praise and worship. Also, Ephesians 4 talks about how the fivefold ministry is given to the church to build us all up. 1 Corinthians 14 says the gifts of the Spirit build us up. That brings us to the second part of this verse where he said, he said, build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. The second way we build, build our, our faith is by uh, uh, contend with the, build our, our faith so that we can contend for the faith is by praying in the Spirit. And there's several meanings to that. It can mean to pray prayers that are led by the Spirit. But listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 15. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. My, 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 my mind doesn't know what I'm saying. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. Paul's making a distinction between two things here, praying and the understanding, where you're saying, God, I come to you, and I've got a situation. I need your help. Lord, please help me here. I'm praying with my mind. But then there's also praying in the Spirit, which is praying with tongues. This isn't the spiritual gift where you get up in church and give a message in tongue that must be interpreted. This is what many call a, a prayer language that you receive when you're, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And listen to this, every single one of the disciples, except for Judas, he missed out, were baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Every single person who wrote a book of the New Testament was baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. This is not something weird. This is not something that's passed away. Peter said on the day of Pentecost, this is for you, your children, and all those who are afar off, as many as the Lord should draw. If God has drawn you to himself, this is for you. This is the normal Christian life. And praying in the Spirit, which is praying in tongues, builds our faith according to the Bible. When we pray with our understanding, we're limited to our understanding. 
But when we pray in the Spirit, there's no limits. I don't know about you, but there's times in my life when I just don't know what to pray. God, I've prayed this, I've prayed that, I've prayed up, I've prayed down, I've prayed around it, I've walked around it, I've sung a prayer, I've quoted the word, I've done everything. I, I don't know what to do. What do I do at those times? I pray in the Spirit. I began to pray in tongues. Thank God for a gift where you can pray the perfect will of God. And the power of God is relieved. It is faith building at those times to say, God, I don't know how to pray here. Would you pray through me? And then begin to pray in the Spirit. It builds my faith every single time. Because I know the perfect will of God is being prayed. Listen to what Romans 8, 26 and 27 says. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches the heart knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. When we pray in the Spirit, it builds our faith because we have the confidence that the Holy Spirit is praying and interceding the perfect will of God through us. Now listen, those verses right there in Romans aren't specifically about tongues, but it shows us this principle that when we're praying in the Spirit, uh, with our born-again Spirit, the Holy Spirit prays through us the perfect will of God. What could be more powerful than that, than to have the Holy Spirit interceding through you? Praying in the Spirit is not gibberish. It's not meaningless. It's not emotionalism. It's not a lesser gift. It's not a learned language. In fact, you don't even understand what you're saying. How can you learn it? The meaning's unknown to you, but it's not unknown to God. I'll never forget years ago when I, I used to watch ABC's show at late at night. Ted Koppel was on there. I'm Ted Koppel. Nightline. And they did this show. It was, it was crazy. This whole show was on speaking in tongues. And, and they, these researchers from the University of Pennsylvania did a study. And this is all based on this. So you can even go there. You can look this up, Penn Medicine News. You can look it up. Uh, and, and basically the, the, what they discovered is the language center of the brain is not under the control of subjects who speak in, in tongues. And here, here's the, the scientific thing. The first neuroimaging examination of, go back, go back, of participants practicing glossolalia, that's speaking in tongues, shows decreased cerebral activity pen study shows so here's what they're saying the frontal now you can go to the next one the frontal lobes of our brain that's at the top you see these two top things that i circled how they're kind of bright red over there and barely visible over here everybody see that three of you y'all see that okay they show those frontal lobes show increased activity when we're focused on what we're saying so researchers took images of people's brains during various kinds of spiritual activities, praying, worshiping, meditating. And they found out that when people sang or prayed, there was in, increased activity in those lobes. They kind of glowed brighter red. However, when they scanned the brains of those who were speaking in tongues or praying in tongues, there was lesser frontal lobe activity. And to them, it confirmed that the words spoken while praying in the Spirit come from a source other than the minds of those who are speaking in tongues. I love it when, I, I believe the Bible, but I love when science finally catches up to the Bible and, and proves what the Bible said 2,000 years ago. When you pray in the Spirit, your mind is unfruitful. Or barren. Your, your mind is unfruitful, but the Holy Spirit is praying in you and praying through you. The perfect will of God. This is faith building. Yeah. 
to pray in the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to encourage you to do so. And if you don't have that gift, at the end of the service, we're going to have an altar call for, for people to get saved and for people who want to be filled with the Spirit. Or maybe you've been filled with the Spirit, but you never just had a release in this prayer language. We're going to pray over you today because I'm telling you, it is for you, and it is a gift that will change you forever. All right. That brings us to verse 21. By the way, each one of these points could have been a sermon today. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Keep yourselves in the love of God. As you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Keep yourself in God's love. That's the third way we build ourselves up. Listen. Listen to what Jude is not saying. God is not saying to keep God loving you. God is not saying you need to work to make God love you and you need to work hard to keep God loving you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you. God loves you no matter what. On your good days, on your best, bad, worst day, on your, I was going to say on your baddest day, on your worst day, God loves you. No matter what, there's nothing you can do to make him love you. But we don't always believe in that. Remember, we're talking about building our faith here. And one of the ways we build ourselves up and build our faith is by learning to trust that God loves us no matter what. So when you get into those times where you're thinking, God, you're under condemnation. I don't think God loves me. I don't think God cares about me. I don't think God cares about this situation. You've you got to build up your faith in those moments. You've got to keep yourself in the awareness of God's love. His love for you now doesn't change, but your awareness of it changes. And for some of you, it's, it's down all the time. For some of you, 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 you're in the love of God. For a lot of people, it's, it's just kind of an up and down thing. Jesus said this in John 15, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Isn't that good? Now remain in my love or abide in my love. Live there. Stop taking a vacation from my love. Stay there. If you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's command and remain in his love. I told you this so my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. <clears throat> There's blessings that come from abiding in the love of God. One of them is to have complete joy. We've talked about joy, joy earlier. If you, if, you, if you don't think God loves you, it's hard to be joyful. If you lose that, you lose the other. Because God loves us, though, he wants to bless us. And, but it's possible, listen, it's possible to take yourself out of the place of God's blessing. I wish I had time to preach on this today. There's times where in the Bible, the verse where God says, I would have blessed Israel. I would have blessed them, but they didn't do this or they turned from that. And so I, I wasn't able to bless them because they didn't follow through with what I wanted them to do. It's possible for us to get out of the place of God's blessing. If we get into sin or unbelief, it doesn't ever make God, to say, God say, I don't love you anymore. God loves you still. But you can get out of fellowship with him. And that hinders the release of his blessing in his life. Think of the prodigal son. It's the perfect example of this. He was in his father's house. He was loved. He had everything that the father had. But he said, hey, I want my inheritance. I want it now. I'm taking it. I'm leaving it. He wasted it all with prodigal living. Prodigal means wasteful. He wasted every bit of his father's blessing. Ended up in a pig pen eating pig slop. His father loved him the whole time. His father was standing on the front porch looking for him the whole time. 
But the son took himself, are you listening to me? The son took himself out of the fellowship with his father and then lost out on his father's future blessing. He did not keep himself in the love of his father. Judah is saying to us the same thing. Do not take yourself out of the fellowship with me. Keep yourself in my love. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. We keep ourselves in the love of God as we wait for God's mercy. What, what, what does he mean here, wait for God's mercy? Don't I have God's mercy already? Yes, but this phrase was a, a traditional phrase in the Bible uh, 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 or in the early church where people were saying, I'm waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. We build our faith not by focusing on how bad things are or how evil keeps getting worse. We build our faith by believing in and looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Something you don't hear a lot anymore in pulpits. Something that people don't preach a lot anymore. But Jesus came the first time. There was a, a, hundreds of prophecies. Listen to me. There were hundreds of prophecies about Jesus' birth. And every, given thousands of years before he was born. And every single one of them came to pass. There's many prophecies about Jesus coming back again. And guess what? Every single one of those will come to pass. Every single one. The Bible is a prophetic book, and every prophecy always comes to pass. And we build our faith by believing that prophecy that Christ is coming back. In Titus 2, 12 through 15, I read this verse earlier in this series. Grace teaches us to say no. Remember, Jude is dealing with people who, who are teaching that grace gives you license to sin. Because God is gracious and loving, you can live like you want to, want to live and still be okay with God, still get to heaven. No, you cannot. You do not understand grace because grace teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Teach about the second coming. Teach that Jesus is coming back. Teach about redemption. Teach about that Jesus gave himself. Jesus died on a cross for you so you could be born again and so that you can be with him forever. Teach that. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Jude teaches us how to contend for the faith now with three different types of people who have fallen to the deception of, of false teachers. In Jude 23 through 23, it says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire. I love that phrase. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Listen, you cannot witness to everybody the same way. Jesus did not do that. He dealt with everybody differently. People are different, and they respond to different approaches, and, and we've got to have some discernment when it comes to, to sharing our faith. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 tells us, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. There's a difference between lazy people, timid people, and weak people. And we've got to patiently minister to, to all of them. It, it might be better to think of a, a physical example. Think about somebody who injured their leg and were working to rehab, rehab that weak leg. Well, I think Pastor Deb, she, she, her, she tore a rotator cuff and she had to go to, to rehab. And for a long time, she couldn't really use that shoulder right. It took a, a while to get that, that movement back. 
But I didn't admonish her, you know, because now I'm having to wash the windows because she can't do it. I didn't say, get up, lazy, wash those windows. She says that to me sometimes, but I am the lazy one sometimes. But I do my best to be a team around the house. I'm trying to get away from saying I help her around the house. We are a team around the house. We do the windows together. But sometimes i got to do them by myself. I don't say, hey, lazy, get up and do something. No, I, I, I support them, and I, I encourage her as she's working through that, that pain of rehab. But if somebody is healthy but lazy, you need to admonish them to get up and get busy. If somebody is capable but they're lacking in courage, you need to encourage them to, to, to get out, step out in faith. You get the picture. There's times we've got to warn people and, and correct them, and there's times we just need to, to be gentle with them. But whatever we do, we got to do Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. How you say something is just as important as what you say. And you need voices that are encouraging you to keep on keeping on. You need voices warning you when you get off track. Over the years, I've had to tell people some hard things as pastor. I always try to do it in love. Some people respond well, some people not so well. I've had people, you know, come to me and say, Pastor Joe, I'm feeling led to leave my spouse for somebody else. And, and they didn't have a biblical reason, like adultery. In fact, they were sometimes the people who did commit adultery, and now they wanted to leave their spouse. And I remember sitting down, I remember sitting down with one guy years ago, used to go here years ago, way back in the early days of our church, and he wanted to meet with me. He told me, well, I've been reading this book, and I was familiar with the book. Kind of a hyper-grace book where I knew what he was going to say because it, that, that book, kind of, if you read it a certain way, kind of lets you off the hook from whatever you do. I can do whatever I want to do and be okay with God. That's what Jude is warning us against. And he told me, I'm, I'm leaving my spouse <coughs> for somebody else. And I said, well, you know I love you, right? He said, yeah, I know that. And he knew, and I did. I loved him. And he knew I loved him. And I said, I, I, I love you enough to tell you the truth, right? Right. I said, you know, I know that looks really good to you right now, but I've been in ministry a long time. I know ministry, and I know the Word of God, and this may feel good to you right now, but the consequences will not be good. It will not be good for you. It will not be good for your children. If you think good is going to come from this, you're dead wrong. Please, I beg you, in the name of Jesus, do not do this. Sometimes people don't listen. They go off and they wreck their lives. They ruin their lives and they tear up their family. And now we've got that mess to deal with. And we're willing to do it. And we've done it many times. But sometimes they listen. This guy listened. I can tell you to this day, 15 years later, that couple is together, going strong, doing well. They got grandkids now. Because he followed the word of the Lord. Sometimes people get upset. They get offended. Uh, listen, if, you, if somebody can't speak some truth into your life and all you do is you get offended every time somebody tries to tell you the truth, you're going to have a tough life. You're going to spend your life upset, angry, and bitter. Life is too short to go through it that way. The enemy, that's the bait of Satan. Offense is the bait of Satan. Read that book, John Bevere's book, The Bait of Satan, because that gives the offense. If you don't deal with it correctly, it puts a hook in your jaw that the enemy can lead you wherever he wants to go. 
Number five, we've got to show mercy to doubters. There are some people who are kind of stuck between faith and unbelief. They're waffling they, between truth and deception. They, they legitimately don't know what to believe. And we've got to gently share truth with them as we contend for the faith. We've got to be merciful and compassionate and, and, and speak the truth in love. We've got to contend for the faith without being contentious, without condemnation, without demonizing them, without acting superior to them. They're genuinely confused. They're uncertain about what to believe. We've got to be patient with them, listen to them, gently guide them back to truth and to sound doctrine. Number six, we've got to share our faith with the lost. All of us have the responsibility to share Jesus with others. But Jude here is talking about people who are further down this road to apostasy, and they have kind of bought this false teaching, hook, a lion, and sinker. And the, Jude says, you've got to deal strongly with them by snatching them from the fire. you still got to speak the truth in love, but you've got to be aggressive and urgently contend for the faith with them. When I think about snatching people from the fire, I'm reminded of when my children were young, because, you know, how do you teach the concept of hot to a child? You know, you can, you can show them warm and, and them not get hurt, but, but don't touch that stove, it's hot, you know. You know, my kids were those who kind of want to go over there and just jump on the stove then and roll around on it and see what hot is. But I got to deal with the burns and the blisters. A lot of people want to do that with life. Oh, I, I'm not supposed to do that. Uh, let, let me do it. But it's hard to teach them to what hot is, but you can't allow them to stick their hand in a fire. you got to literally sometimes snatch their hand away. That's not a time to start counting. They're, stick, they're, they're, they're sticking their hand in the fire. Don't stick your hand in that fire. I'm t- one, two, nine, one, one. Because now they got their hand burned. We've got to snatch it away. It's the same way with deceived people. They're heading towards a fire of eternal judgment and don't even know it. We've got to care enough to contend for the faith with them. And then lastly, number seven, hate the sin, but love the sinner. I heard this from my mom all my life. And Jude here is talking mainly about the false teachers. He's saying you've got to be merciful to them even as you contend with them for the faith. But be extremely cautious. That's why he talks about doing it with fear He's not talking about being afraid of them, but be cautious that you don't fall into their deception. Listen, there may be some people you're not prepared to talk to yet. We've got to build our faith in order to contend for the faith. You've got to be standing on a firm foundation before you can throw a lifeline to somebody else. Otherwise, you're going to be drug under also. And Jesus said, hate the clothing even stained by corrupted flesh. Sin stains people and, and corrupts people, but we never hate sinners We hate the sin. And why do we hate the sin? Because of what it does in our lives. Because it tears us apart. It ruins families. It ruins lives. It gets us addicted. It gets us hurt. It causes us pain. That's why God gives us commands not to hold back pleasure from us. Because he loves us so much he wants to protect us. And I want to close by saying this. Sharing your faith builds actually builds your faith. Philemon 6, 7 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. Listen, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Notice that second part of that verse is dependent upon the first part. When you share your faith, then you'll have full understanding of every good thing you have in Christ. In other words, not sharing your faith stunts your spiritual growth. Sharing your faith leads to a fuller understanding. Sharing your faith accelerates your growth. There's a level of Christian growth and life that only happens when we're actively engaged in contending for their faith. Could it be, 
Could it possibly be that there are things you're having trouble understanding right now simply because you're not sharing your faith? Could it be that there's a blessing that you're missing out on because you're not keeping yourself in the love of God? Could it be that your faith is weak because you're not praying in the Spirit? Could it be that you're not contending for the faith because you're not feeding yourself on the Word of God? If we're going to contend for the faith, we must first have faith, and then we must every day be about the business of building up our faith, our most holy faith. That requires the Word of God and the Spirit of God, Spirit and truth. And today we want to invite you to spend your life in the Word of God. And today, if you don't know Jesus, we want to invite you today to know Him. He loves you. He died for you. Do you know you can get a clean slate today? You can walk out of here clean. Everything you've ever done wrong, forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. As our prayer team comes down, if you've never been born again, if you've never met Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, today is a day of salvation. We'd love to pray with you and see you come to faith in Jesus. Also today, I want to invite you to obey the command of God to be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive the gift of praying in the Spirit. As I said, Peter said, this is for everyone, to all who are afar off, to as, afar off, as many as the Lord shall call. And as you stand, if you need prayer for anything else, come down for prayer today. Let's all stand together. If you need to pray for somebody else, come on down, whatever you need. But especially today, we want to pray that you would have a release in this gift of the Spirit, of praying in the Spirit. I'm believing this is for all of us. I would love a church full of people who are building their faith by praying in the Spirit. So we're going to sing one more song. After that song, you'll be dismissed. And as we're singing, I want you to just begin to come down. Whatever your prayer need is, whatever you need, if you need to come to Jesus, if you need to pray for job or finances or anything else. You need to be saved. You need to be filled. Come